Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. All right, welcome back to the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Daniel Foch. I'm a real estate broker, director of economic research at a company called Rare Real Estate, lover of all things real estate, especially investing. And I am, although not a great one, I am an investor myself. No, I think I'm, I think I'm okay at it. I'd say I try and be humble. I'm joined here by a wonderful young man named Nick Hill, and we are here doing the new year, new me thing. <laughs> for all the, I mean, viewership goes up like crazy. So for the, for all those of you who are celebrating a new year and we are part of your new year's resolution, your, if your new year's resolution is to invest in real estate and to do a good job at investing in real estate, then you've come to the right place. Where, where is this place, Nick? What, what, where are we? Quite the introduction, Dan. I love it. And I love when you call me a young man, cause I, I am, I believe two years older than you, but it, it's, it's flattering. I, I appreciate it. We are at the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast back again for another episode. Uh, every Tuesday and Friday, Dan and I sit around and talk about real estate, what's going on in the market. We distill reports down for you. Uh, and today we've got a, a fun episode, kind of a two-parter. We're going to go through kind of the future landscape of Canadian real estate, what we just some, some light predictions, some general conversation, what we think is going to happen in 2024. And yes, I did say the word prediction. So we'll see what happens. And then we've got a fun list to go through as well. The 10 best places to live here in the great country of Canada. So, uh, why don't we start things off here, Dan, unless there was anything else you wanted to, to chat about before we dove in? No, I think we're good. Okay. This past year has been one of volatility and change for Canadians. One of the fastest and most aggressive rate hiking cycles in history has put an end to the ripping bull markets we experienced for the last few decades. Real estate was an easy, guaranteed investment with low interest rates and year-over-year appreciation numbers that did not make sense, and all of that was only exacerbated by the strange human buying behavior that we saw during the pandemic years. But the tables have turned, the game has changed, and it's now back to gaining an understanding and abiding by the fundamentals of proper real estate investing. So what is in store for 2024 and how can investors like you adapt to these changing market conditions? First thing we're going to talk about is liquidity. Liquidity is key. Now, having cash to deploy will be more important than ever in the coming quarters, uh, much more important than it has been in the last several years is the lending environment has tightened. Having cash will allow you to have staying power as well as the ability to scoop up distressed deals from overlevered speculators. And if you don't have cash, it may be time to, you know, take another look at your portfolio, really start to analyze any of those non-core, maybe non-performing assets that might not fit within that investment thesis, might not be operating in their highest and best use. You might not have the team or systems in place to be servicing those assets to get the best out of them. 
might be time to to look at offloading some of those and increase your liquidity so you could redeploy it into a much more fruitful investment or just somewhere nice and safe to sit until you do find that nice investment. Dan, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, and sorry, I wanted to make one kind of cheesy analogy before before I turned it over to you. So liquidity, thinking of liquidity as, as money, I, and I can't remember who this was, but one of the, one of the great gurus out there, uh, today that was saying, you know, you don't want a stack of cash, right? You don't want, cause a stack of cash, when you start taking money away from that stack of cash, it gets smaller. What you want is a river of cash that it always flowing towards you. And I thought that was just a great analogy, uh, especially when you start to think of, terms of liquidity liquidity river you see where i'm going with this don't you i do for sure those are all things that have liquids in them (laughs) i could use a glass of water on that note yeah i agree except that i think and i look i'm i'm the guy who's always like the best option for a bad asset is to sell but i do think that it's worth noting that for some people i mean if you have a big mortgage penalty as an example or switching costs are too high and you're planning you know to buy something again in in by the end of the year or in two years or whatever, like, you know, to sell an asset and buy a new asset, you're, you're like 10% in switching costs really, right. By the time you've done all of that. And so you have to outperform on, on a return basis, you have to outperform by 10% or outperform 10% before you even start making a return. Cause you're 5% commissions, mortgage, land transfer tax, mortgage discharge, blah, blah, blah. And so one of the things, one of the the ways that we're really encouraging people and a lot of people are having success in today's market is by adding value to existing properties and doing this by adding units, especially. If you look at, you know, if we really examine the housing crisis and what's causing it, we're seeing massive growth in non-permanent residents and non-permanent residents statistically or not statistically, legally, cannot buy houses. They literally legally cannot buy a house in Canada. Only permanent residents can buy houses in Canada, right? There's a foreign buyer ban. And so until those individuals are PR, they're not pushing up the value of properties. And so you don't need to rush in to buy a property per se. I know a lot of people say, oh, when rates come down, you got to blah, blah, blah. Anyway, you've heard it. It doesn't need reiterating. (laughs) But what non-permit residents do need, most of them rent, right? A lot of them are students. A lot of them are working entry-level jobs. So they're not buying, they're not, even even if even if they were buying, they're not, or even if they could buy, they probably aren't because they don't have the income yet and, um, or the savings yet. And so they, they're often renting smaller units, entry-level units. In a lot of cases, they're rooming. And so by adding a unit to one of your buildings, you could potentially massively increase the income that you're seeing there. And so the incremental benefit of spending some cash on incre- increasing the value of the unit is is can, can be just as good, if not better than selling, you know? So a lot of it's just repositioning, but it would be like, I think that there's there's room to be thinking about re-strategizing disposition or repositioning. Do you want to, do you want to add anything before I go to the next one? Uh, no, I was just going to say, I think we did a full episode on this a while back, either titled, should you sell at a loss or should I sell at a loss or, or one of those? So if you're interested in hearing and hearing more about that idea, we do explore some of the options, the pros and cons, as Dan was saying, instead of exiting, there's, there's a repositioning. So if you want more on that, go check that out. But no, let's let's uh, let's keep going here, Dan. What is the yeah? The next I mean, piece? it is interesting because we had a guy who wanted to jump into the course, and he owns five assets, right, in um, southwestern Ontario, 
And uh, my first question was like, are all of them running at their max capacity? Because mm-hmm. right now it's like, that's where you're going to get a better torque, right? In a lot of cases you can do, you ha- you can have a tenant leave to complete the renovation, cut something into two units, you're becoming a housing creator, right? Um, and then your, your base rent on two entry level units rather than one, you know, if you have a a bungalow and somebody's renting it as a bungalow with a, a basement, a finished or unfinished basement versus converting that to a bungalow with, I mean, we're doing it right now on the Hamilton deal, like repositioning it. The, the one that's been, you know, that we've mentioned a couple of times on the show, that's really been yeah. probably the only, only one that we have ever been not exceptionally happy with. We're going to put a basement apartment in it because it's the way to keep it, keep it humming along. So anyway, Great segue into the next piece here. It is for sure. Yeah. So, you know, the second piece of advice is to reanalyze your investment thesis. What worked for the last few years or few decades may not work anymore. Opportunities in major markets across the country, GTA, Lower Mainland, Calgary, uh, Vancouver are hard to pencil out, especially when we're seeing cap rates in the three to 4% range. Why would you buy an asset when a GIC is less risky and has a better guaranteed return? Well, I mean, maybe because you can get debt on, on the, a hard asset like real estate. But the challenge is, can you even get debt on a three cap right now? Because Mm. what lender, I mean, yeah, maybe you can get 30%, right? Like if they're going to lend you at a minimum of a one DSCR, because they're not going to, they're not going to lend you. So just for, for quick, some quick maths, I guess, is that, that wraps on quick, quick (laughs) math. Debt service coverage ratio at one means that your NOI, your income from the property, services the mortgage at a one-to-one ratio. So it pays out. So that's a property that's- Meaning it breaks even. That's a break even one. Yeah. So 1.1 DSCR is 10% cash flow positive. 1.3 DSCR is 30% cash flow positive. So if a bank's going to lend you at a minimum of a one, obviously, because they don't want you, they're not going to lend you money to lose money. They will not do that. They might've done it in the last little while. I don't know how a lot of that stuff took place, but they're not doing it anymore. If they're doing it, if they're going to lend you money at a 1.1, 1.3 DSR, now all of a sudden it, on, a, on a three or four cap, that's like a 50 or 40% loan to value. So it does defeat the, you can go, you, you can probably go get a loan to, to put money into a GIC and, and, and it would literally be the same investment, right? At that three, three to 4%. So I agree with you. We are seeing people making those four and a half caps work on different credit programs like MLI select. And that's yeah. propping things up. And this is where it comes down to, it's time to get creative, look at the data, look at secondary markets where we're actually seeing increase good quality rents, growth in rents, high population growth, and especially high high magnitude of population growth, a high percentage. I mean, 100,000 people added to Cornwall, Ontario is a lot different than 100,000 people added to Toronto, Ontario, right? <laughs> uh, that would be something. Don't all go to Cornwall at once, guys. Yeah, no, completely. You know, it, it's, it is different, but you're right. There are certain credit products that, that make those three, well, maybe not three, but the, the 4% cap rates that, that are very unattractive to, to a lot of buyers still make them pencil out. So, you know, from a financing perspective, you've got to be creative now as well, right? There's been a major increases. Uh, in sellers of properties offering VTBs, vendor take back mortgages, also known as seller financing. Now, Dan, right before we hopped on to record this, we were literally on our, um, this is kind of just, this is too funny timing wise. It's funny because I'm sitting here reading this, like, I can't talk about VTBs for another hour. Come on. <laughs> so I know I'm not going to make you, we'll keep this short, but this is just going to be a little teaser for everybody. We, we just finished a, um, 
a coffee shop session with one of our we we didn't have a big turnout today and and that's okay but we just had a coffee shop session with with a member of our course and uh shout out to cam shout out to cam and the whole thing was about vtbs how to structure them how to use them how to write them what rates they're at you know how many how many p- positions do you want your vtb behind kind of thing so it it was it was fascinating that now this is anyways that's the kind of stuff we talk about in the course people is we we answer these hard hitting questions anyways the the point of a vtb is this is where the seller will hold the portion of that mortgage for the buyer so that it's easier for that buyer to qualify because they don't they can go get a smaller mortgage amount that they would qualify for from a traditional lender now for years vendor takebacks were you know i'd say almost essentially unheard of in the small cap investment market now it's you know the latest buzzword for investors right dan it was really more of a thing seen in in land purchases or or tricky to finance deals on the commercial or you know, institutional level uh, type of investment, but now we're seeing it in single family homes even. So, you know, in certain secondary markets, you're still able to purchase cash flowing assets below replacement costs. And those are two other things to remember. So if you can get creative and find a good asset that you can buy below replacement costs, you can add value to it to cash flow, and you can tie in a VTB, those are the kind of deals that you should be focusing on trying to do right now because it's time to get creative. I mean, I just put out the bat signal to the to the course, right? Like I, I just we we did this we did this coffee shop, and I was th- and and Mitch brought us Mitch, who's our partner in the course. He's a brilliant guy in the real estate space and brilliant in the course space as well. You know, he was asking because he has an opportunity to purchase a property with the VTB, and so we talk we really really talk through it, right? Like exhaustively, and there's so many different benefits to it, and I don't need to go into them exhaustively. Maybe it's worth revisiting well, we did a great episode and i think it was like episode 48 yeah. or 50 or something like that yeah. but let i think it's time to i think it's time dan yeah we'll do it's another time one because 2024 is going to be the year of the vtb for sure so that's the title of it right there it is for sure so <laughs> but but the reality is like there if i search go so this is what i said to the people in our course and i'm going to give you this for free right now go and ask your realtor to start sending you listings that have vtbs because all right away, anybody who's publicly advertising they're willing to VTB a property is typically a little bit more motivated to sell that. They're trying to get creative. They're communicating they're creative. Now, all of a sudden, you know you're dealing with a more sophisticated seller and you have two levers. You can negotiate a little bit on the rate, on the terms, on the on the uh, the loan to value, not just the price. And so I really think it's an opportunity for people in in this year's market. I mean, in the development space, all the development clients that I'm working with on the advisory side, sales side, there's they've been saying this for years and I've been and, and I've been reiterating it on the podcast. The only deals that are getting done right now are either MLI Select or VTBs. That's it. Right? Nothing else. Really Your nothing. Field does not have an acronym in front of it. Yeah. It ain't getting done. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, you know what? Go ask your realtors to send you those and tell them the guys from the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast sent you. Okay. Yeah, and we won't even list. charge. The, the referral fee is um, that they have to leave us a five-star review. Yeah, there you go. Wow, it really is the Christmas season. We are just giving gold away here. So let's talk about another growing trend here, Dan. Yeah, that's enough, a good, yeah that's it's another acronym. Throw in some Perfect. more acronyms out here. Yeah, so PBRs. Uh, and not not perhaps not the delicious cold no. crispy boys not cracking not cracking no. any cold ones with the boys 
It was recently announced that the annual limit for Canada mortgage bonds increased from $40 billion up to $60 billion. So there's $20 billion of more money for CMHC to lend for people who want to do purpose-built rental and rental deals through the MLI Select program and other CMHC programs. It, I'm I'm going to VTB the perfect MLI PBR deal and no one's going to have any idea what that even means. Yeah, that sounds like an arbitrage right there if I've ever heard of one. <laughs> I'm selling a course on just that specifics. Okay. Yeah, you just have to remember all of the acronyms.com. <laughs> That's the... Yeah. So, I mean, look, th- their goal, they said that this is going to get 30,000 more rental apartments per year built. I don't know how, because that money needs to churn. I suppose, I guess if they're I, anyway, I don't, that, that math I haven't figured out, but it's going to get more houses built because they're giving money to people at very cheap rates on very long amortizations. We've been talking about this a lot on the show. Yeah. And, and so it's a huge trend and, and it's, and it's available. Like, I think that there's again, another individual who's likely going to be joining us in the course in kind of the triplex to fourplex space, thinking about making the step to bigger buildings. It's like, well, there's a lot of skilled operators in the 20 plus unit space. There's not a lot in the six to 20 space. And there, and that's where the, the, you know, the big opportunity is because you can get these smaller buildings that, that you and I, you and I could, could GC a renovation on a sixplex, right? It's just three, it's just double a triplex. Like they're, yeah. they're not structurally compli- complicated by comparison to your, the normal buildings that you've seen. Like once you start getting into some of the bigger stuff where it's concrete and steel and blah, 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 it's a little bit out of scope for the average Joe like for me. Sure. Yeah. But a sixplex, 10plex, I mean, like we have a 10 unit, right? And it, it's a pretty simple build. It's not, yeah. it's not rocket it's science. It's a one. really nice box. Nice box. <laughs> okay. So the, you know, the, the 20 billion more in Canadian mortgage bonds for MLI, fantastic. Great news for the development community. And that change added to the elimination of the 5% GST that we've seen for constructing those new PBRs that you've gotten VTBs and MLI select on. I'm sorry, that probably got a little bit confusing. So the removal of the 5% GST tax is another win. Now, and, some municipalities, and another acronym, which is, which is, of course, another three letter acronym, which is great. So the, you know, some municipalities have reduced it. Others have eliminated it completely. And Dan and I have said this time and time again, we think that that is going to be a trend over the next little while as more incentives for developers are seen through things like, like this tax, this tax cut. So, you know, it's, it's anticipated to benefit the small and mid-sized developers, maybe even the mid to large ones that are leveraging CMHC's MLS Select program, and you know taking those long longer amortizations. I mean, really, when you start to put it this way, it's it's starting to look a hell of a lot better to be a developer, and I think I hope that these trends that we're seeing are only going to get better. Um, removals of more cutting of more red tape and then you know let's get some freaking houses built at this point yeah for sure finally we've seen major municipalities such as toronto and vancouver allow for changes in zoning where single family homes are now allowed to be converted into multifamily residential properties in canada we have more square feet per capita than almost anywhere else in the world outside of the us usa another great acronym and australia (laughs) simply put we have very large houses here and we can cut them up into multiple units. This presents an opportunity for savvy value-added investors to buy these properties and increase the density and the use case for properties. In Toronto, 
nonprofit groups like Rehousing.ca have developed a catalog of most common housing types in the city and a guide to convert them. And then the government went and copied them and came up with that catalog and threw some some cool branding at it and said that it was a housing policy. So wartime. <laughs> so the one thing I the one thing I will say, Dan, is if you go back up here with CMHC's you know, the new mortgage bonds for purpose-built rentals, at least they're throwing a number at it, right? At least they're like, yeah, we think it'll build up to 30,000 more rental apartments where when asked, when they, when, when the government was asked how many housing starts or how many, how much of an increase they see the wartime housing act having on a per unit basis per year, there was no idea and no answer. Well, so because th- it's, we're already at capacity. Like you can't, I mean, What's the output of the extra? We just discussed this in the last episode. The extra four hundred and fifty-five workers that came into the skilled <laughs> trades, like four point cool. five houses, four four yeah, I mean, houses. I, I mean, know. even if they're absolute beasts that are building ten houses a year each, it's like forty five hundred <laughs> houses, man. Like it's not it's not going to move the needle. Uh, those poor those those poor people are really going to be overworked. Those four fifty, I tell you. Oh man. So anyway, yeah. Look, Canadian real estate could go through a renaissance period now where fundamentals like adding value, creative financing, and delayed gratification are really going to keep success for the years to come starting in 2024. So pay attention to those themes as you think about uh, this next little list that Nick put together here, which is the yeah, best. I, uh, yeah, the, the best. best. The best. Well, I, I didn't. I didn't put it together. I can't take credit. This is from a company called Moving Waldo. They're like a moving company. They have this is not sponsored by them or anything. But I, I always. It's interesting. These moving companies. I feel like they've got really cool data points, Dan. Because you know we always talk about the the U-Haul index, which is a really cool again moving company that puts together the kind of some real estate data. But anyways, they put this. This list together, they pulled, they pulled, uh, statistics and data from CMHC, Zolo, StatsCan, you know, similar to us, they're out there scraping the internet for, for the good stuff. And they put together this list on the best places to live in Canada. Now they, they state here that, uh, best in quotation marks is a subjective word. Thank you for clarifying that. But they do clarify that below is their methodology to compile the best places, the 10 best places. What they did is they used existing market data of the safest and cheapest places to live in Canada. And they then based their rankings on three criteria, safety, affordability, and access to recreational facilities and parks. I I like that last one. I don't, I don't, I don't know if that constitutes the best, but Hey, who doesn't love access to a good old park? I think that's super important. And then they've measured safety with the Crime Severity Index, CSI. Great TV show I great used to watch. A- another great acronym. Another great three-letter acronym. Ra- I can see Horatio taking his sunglasses <laughs> dun, off. Dun, right dun, 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 dun. Is that, was that it? That's, that was I it, feel like it? you did that last time for Law & Order, but anyway. Oh, I, okay. Well, no, it was the who, who, that's what it was. Yeah, it is, you're right. Okay, nice. There we go. Sorry, I won't, I won't sing Keep here. singing, please. No, no, no. That's uh, what our audience really wants. The crime severity index and the crime rate collected from the governmental and police sources. So just as a data point here in 2022, the crime severity index in Canada stood at 73.44. Cities with a CSI below 60 are therefore considered among the safest. 
So affordability takes into account the prices of housing and renting. According to CBC, the average Canadian house price is 720 grand at the time of the writing of this article. I think it's a little less than that right now. I thought it was a little more than that right now, but whatever, it's close enough, close enough to that. Yeah. You think you're doing the realtor math? (laughs) It's gone up since then. (laughs) Yeah. So the, the data was used to rank the 10 best best places in uh, Canada to live while also taking into account their quality of life. Health, pollution, green spaces, and recreation, climate, and education, and employment are the criteria involved to determine the quality of life. So, Nick, start us off. Number one on this list, Edmondson, New Brunswick, was ranked best, was first of all number one on the list, and also ranked best for employment opportunities for things like nurses, doctors, and civil engineers. So, Places on the up and up, population of 16,781. Average cost of a house, 150 grand. You've got to be kidding me. Edmondson, I'm just going to go get my engineering degree and I'll be right there. The average monthly rent, $545 for a one bedroom apartment. And the average monthly cost of living, just under $1,300. Edmondson is listed as the first best place to live in Canada. Uh, it's located close to New Brunswick. Uh, sorry, close to uh, located in Madawaska County in New Brunswick, and has a crime rate twenty four percent lower than that of the rest of the province. So, from a cost of living standpoint, if you're a nurse, doctor, or civil engineer, pack your bags. You're going to Edmondson, Edmontonson. There you go. <laughs> Next on the list, we've got uh, Saguenay, Quebec. Best for first-time buyers. Population at 144000 CSI, 50. Average cost of a house, 257000 Average so remember, monthly- a CSI below 60 is good. So that's good. There you go. Good. Average monthly one-bedroom one rent, 650 So what would that be? I mean- Average monthly cost of living, 2700 bucks. So Saguenay is the second best place to live in Canada. It is a Quebecois city with no traffic jams. Saguenay is an affordable place in addition to offering some of the most affordable housing in Canada. The city of Saguenay is very safe. It has a crime rate 11% lower than that of Quebec, The pro- I guess the city, Quebec city. No there traffic jam sounds pretty good too. Mm-hmm. Outside, outside of that cost of living. Okay, another one in Quebec. We have La Vie. I actually, we should be careful with that one because I think traffic jams are where people listen to their podcasts. So just saying. Wow. Really good point. I, it's tough for me to say that I enjoy traffic jams, but you know what? I, I drive probably more than the average person just to, to sites and to clients and to, you know, check on our portfolio up to your place in the studio, Dan. And I crush podcasts when I'm in the car. It is great. Number three here. Quebec, Lévis, best for families, population of just over 150,000, low crime rate, average cost of a house, $329,000, and average monthly one-bedroom apartment rent of $758. And I think the national average is something like 2600 for a one-bedroom apartment. Obviously, horribly skewed by downtown Toronto, where there's by far more one-bedroom apartments than anywhere else in the country. Levy holds the third position in the ranking of the best places to live in Canada. Located in the heart of three major national parks, the city has a large number of hiking trails. I love that. And again, house prices of only uh, less than $330,000 for the average cost of a of a house stand. And now the next one here, number four, is actually in Ontario. This is exciting. There's a good place to live in this province. 
Yeah, it sounds great too. Deep River, Ontario, best for outdoor activities. Population 4,000. CSI 21.68. Not a lot of crime going on there. Average cost of a house, 370,000. Average monthly rent, one bed, 1,400 bucks. And the average monthly cost of living, 2,700 bucks. Located on the course of the Ottawa River in Renfrew County, Deep River is ranked number four in the ranking for the best cities to live in Canada. The area has stunning scenery and wide rivers, so it's the perfect place to go boating with all that extra money you have from living in this affordable market. Also, ski doo man. I know you're a sea doo guy. The we can't. I don't know if you can go uh, sea dooing in like these uh, rivers, but uh, maybe who knows? I don't know. They actually have like a um, like an aluminum bottom that you can get from my sea doo that you can rip actually rip up like white water. Because well, the Ottawa sweet. River is great that whitewater is rafting. I, I went whitewater rafting up there years ago. Ton of fun. Wow. Yeah, it was a blast for yeah. sure. Well, when I went at whitewater rafting in the Ottawa River, actually, it was um, it was snowing. That is so, really cool. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't actually that cool. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> really cold, I meant. Actually, it was a good, yeah. It's a good story, but yeah, literally yeah. cool. Yeah. Therefore, living in a deep river could be very interesting for you if you work in the scientific field because they have the Canadian nuclear laboratories located there. That's kind of cool. Yeah. It's a pull factor right there. That's one of those things you're like, Hey, that could be a major growth factor, right? I mean, population of only 4,000 good, not much of a barrier to entry to buy a house. You've got the water. I feel like humans are naturally pulled to water. I like deep river. Well, also like uh, if you're just purely talking about the nuclear thing, I'm pretty sure Ontario is planning to to build the biggest nuclear power plant in the world. That came out in like July, I think. Um, Bruce Power, which I believe they already have it, but they're putting together a 4.8 gigawatt or adding 4.8 gigawatts to the Ontario facility up there. And uh, I think it's in Tiverton, the uh, the Bruce Bruce Peninsula, Bruce Power Plant. World's biggest nuclear power plant being planned in Canada. I'm reading it right now. Demand for nuclear is growing in a battle against climate change. And then I think they're planning to do a bunch of these smaller ones as well. So I don't know. I mean- Wow. That yeah. sounds pretty promising to me. Yeah. Just like we mentioned in that last episode though, about those uh, Amber Alert things that they, the accidental alerts that they were sending out. We just got to make sure whoever was doing that does not have access to that program anymore <laughs> now that we're getting more nuclear power plants. Context, by the way, there was like a, an accidental alert that went out for the Pickering power plant. Yeah, that would have been scary. Yeah, it was definitely not cool. Number five, Trenton, Nova Scotia. Best affordable cost of living. That's what it was awarded in this uh, survey here that we're reading of the 10 best places. Population 2,400. Average cost of a house, 182000 Man, that's literally, I think, parking spots in Toronto have sold for in and around that at the peak. Average cost of living is 20% less than the national average. So if the idea of a small town near a beautiful beach appeals to you, well then, Trenton might just be the perfect place. Uh, very safe city. Crime rate is also 9% lower than that of the rest of the province. And Dan, back to beautiful Quebec. One of my favorite here uh, on this list. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, the affordability, no. affordability in Quebec as a province is great. It is, yeah. I, I This is one of my favorite cities in Canada, and I, I would probably, I would consider living here, to be honest with you. I've wanted to invest in this city for a while. Quebec City. The best for housing affordability and urban areas. Awesome Canadian city, I have to say. It is. Yeah, you cannot, really you cannot find 
the the um, history and culture in that city anywhere else in North America. You really can't. So population about five hundred fifty thousand. Average cost of a house three hundred twenty five thousand. Average monthly one bed rent eight hundred forty thousand. Average monthly cost of living about twenty five hundred bucks. The province of Quebec, the capital of the province of Quebec, full of history, events, great food, and architecture as well as opportunity. I think it was uh, it was rated for a while the best city for millennials to move to. I mean, obviously with the I um, see that. the tour, yeah. I mean, it's very tourism. A lot of a lot of entry level jobs, fun fun city, good nightlife, uh, very much a world city. People from all over the world travel there. Actually, did you know that the hotel there, Chateau Frontenac, is the most photographed hotel in the world? Really, I have so much random information in my brain. I'm just realizing that's, that's that's great, and I've I've stayed, been lucky enough to stay there. I mean, for people that have seen a lot of the rest of Canada and and not Quebec City, you truly forget you're in Canada. You're you're really in a in a in a in a old European castle in some cases, old European village, old European downtown from from hundreds of years ago. It's it's an amazing place. Yeah, it says actually. Uh, if only I spoke any bit of French, I would be. <laughs> much yeah. better off. There. I've been really working on my French because my daughter's in French immersion. So I'm uh I'm I'm hoping that maybe I'll get back there. I used to speak pretty good French when I lived in Switzerland. So um, maybe I can do it. Maybe I can that do it one great. day. I would. I would I think I'd have to be a snowbird because the winters are pretty rough there. But anyway, we digress. Back to Quebec for number seven here. <laughs> Best for nature lovers is Thetford Mines. And I'm positive I'm not saying that properly and for all of our dear listeners in quebec thank you for always bearing with my pronunciation uh abilities here population of twenty six thousand. average cost of a home two hundred thousand dollars average monthly rent for a one bedroom or one bedroom or less so i guess that includes studios five hundred dollars four hundred and fifty five to five hundred dollars crazy so there are definitely cheap options in in some of these places and then the average Monthly cost of living, $2,500. Uh, again, may I remind you that the cost of a one-bedroom apartment nationally now is, I believe, $2,600. Again, terribly skewed by Vancouver and Toronto. Take us to number eight, Dane, back to Berta. Yeah, not to be confused with Deep River. We have High River, Alberta, the best for <laughs> tranquility in the outdoors. You take the, you take the deep road, I'll take the high road? Something like that. So... Population is thirteen thousand. Average cost of a house three hundred seventy thousand. Average monthly rent about a thousand bucks. It's located in the Greater uh, Calgary area, approximately forty five minutes from the city of Calgary, and uh, it hosts lots of annual events throughout the year. It's particularly known for its old fashioned holiday parades, as the whole city lights up. In addition, so there you go. This time of year, perfect. In addition. The city has a number of craft fairs, galleries, and art studios. So if you're into that kind of stuff, it's a good place to be. Speaking of good places to be, this, this one. one was a little bit of a surprise for me. Now, I know it well. I think you do as well, Dan. Barrie, Ontario. Great city. I, Great I will city. agree with that. I think I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Barrie. I yeah. And I love the description here. I'm going to start with the description. Located on the shores of Chem... Kempenfelt Bay, is that it? Yeah. The western arm of Lake Simcoe. Barrie is the seventh best place to live in Canada. It's also a great place to find affordable homes in Ontario. Average cost of a home here is just under the national average at 705000 Population just under 150000 Rent still 
mildly achievable there with uh, one bed and less average going for about 1600 and the monthly cost of living $3,500. And we're at the end of this list and finish us off strong with number 10. Uh, Wellington County, Ontario. So highest quality of life. 240,000 population. Is Guelph within Wellington? I think it is, right? Yeah. So I've yeah, technically th- been a resident of this area. So have I, actually. I think I'm an honorary, honorary resident of Barrie, too. So, <laughs> But 240,000 people, average cost of a house, about 915,000. So a little bit more expensive than uh, than a lot of the other places on the list. But average month- monthly rental is about 48% of the Ontario average average monthly cost of living is 12% below the Ontario average. So safe place and has 38% lower crime rate than the remainder of Ontario cities, public and uh, tra- other than Oxbridge, I think there's like most trails that are in, in like Guelph and that area. Yeah, right? Don't, don't get confused. Oxbridge is the yeah. trail capital of, of Canada. Yeah. I think we've got here the township of Fergus, Alora, Rockwood, Arthur, Aaron, All Mapleton, Palmerston, Harriston and of course Guelph, which holds a special place in our hearts. Yeah, Guelph's gross great city. Well, there you have it. Top ten. What do you so, think, Dan? I think I'm just gonna go and start uh, packing my bags and move to Barry. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh you know, if I could if I could handle French, I think Quebec by far takes up more than we've got four, so forty percent of the best places to uh to live are in Quebec. Yeah, you really need to work on your French, though. But yeah, thanks for that, and thank you everybody for for listening. And uh, and we hope you got both value from our from the first half of the show, where we kind of went over predictions and trends that we're seeing emerge in in twenty twenty four and beyond. And uh, you know, I, I love doing these lists, Dan. They're always they're always funny and interesting to see what all these different people put together for for the best places. For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess before we wrap up here, make sure we got meetups January 9th. So first Tuesday of every month throughout the year in 13 cities across Canada, make sure you go out to those and then check out uh, our course realist.ca link in the show notes. We'd love to have you on board there. And beyond that, I mean, see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully if you're kicking off a new year and you're looking for some great content on how to make good real estate investments this year, I think 2024, 2025 are going to be the years. I haven't, I haven't really been saying, haven't really been not bullish yet. I think, but I think we're getting there. Things are starting to look pretty ugly out there. There are some good opportunities. We are, I mean, it's like, I think when, when everyone's super scared, and nobody wants to buy and we're not getting new listeners to our podcast anymore because people don't even want to invest in real estate and they're not even researching it anymore. (laughs) Then it's like, okay, the bottom's in let's go. So anyway, that's all I got. (laughs) I love it. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you soon. The Canadian real estate investor podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.